Post podcast. I, of course, am your host, Aaron Pym. And what I like to do here on the podcast is bring fun and sexy guests into the studio to have in depth conversations about sex and sexuality. And obviously, it is COVID times, so I don't have someone right here in person in the studio, but. Thankfully, due to 2020 technology, I can talk to people virtually, and that is exactly what I've been doing lately. So this is someone that was recommended to me, kind of a friend of a friend. They alerted me to her fantastic sex-themed, sex-related blog. So without further ado, we're going to talk about that with my lovely guest, Caroline Kuhn from Read Between the Sheets. Hi, Caroline. Hi. How are you doing today? How is your how's your quarantining going? <laughs> it's been pretty crazy. I started it out in Toronto and then kind of escaped back to New Brunswick where I'm from. So I did the whole 14-day self-isolation and now we're on the other end of that. So that's been great. Amazing. Good for you. <laughs> and has the blog been like a good thing for you to for you to kind of be doing right now? Like it's something that you can fully occupy yourself with right now, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, it just keeps me kind of on a schedule because I know I put out blog posts Tuesdays and Saturdays. So then at least I'm kind of held to that. And I can't just spend all day watching Netflix, which is what I was doing. (laughs) Amazing. Good. Yeah, I find the same thing with my pod that I'm like, well, at least I have this thing that I do every week, you know, to kind of Give me some sort of like semblance of time passing. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> otherwise it just like all blends together and I have no idea what day of the week it is at any one time. So um, since I don't know you very well, like I'm legitimately going to ask you this question, <laughs> uh, you know, let me give me kind of an idea of your background uh, going into starting the blog, like what was your impetus to start this and kind of, you know, how, how was that like influenced by either your experiences or your background or whatever? Yeah. So I grew up in rural New Brunswick, like a town of 5,000 people. So that was an experience in and of itself. And then I went away to school and I did a theater degree at Brock university. And then I went and did a musical theater program at Randolph College for the Performing Arts. So my last kind of seven years has been musical theater and acting, essentially. And I was kind of dabbling in the realm of like sex ed. I took a couple women and gender studies courses, but it's always been kind of a personal passion, I guess. in terms of being interested in like doing personal research into sexual assault and kind of watching documentaries and reading about it and trying to kind of understand the culture we're in and how we kind of got here. 
And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, wow, my sex education was awful. And that was kind of a discovery, I think I realized through university and kind of first experiences with sex and boys. Um, And the more I talked to other people, the more I was like, a lot of us are in the same boat. Like a lot of us weren't taught what consent was, or were taught, you know, if you say no, you have to stop, but there's so much more to it than that. And that's when I became really passionate about sex education and decided that I wanted to do something. I wasn't really sure what to do. And I had kind of dabbled in writing some plays on the topic that I was like, oh, maybe I could tour a play to high schools about consent. And then it was around International Women's Day this year that I wrote uh, kind of a, I guess it was kind of a think piece at the time about my experiences with sexual assault, which I hadn't really shared publicly before. And I wasn't sure how to share it. Um, I was like, I guess I could just post it on Facebook, but that just feels kind of weird. And one of my friends suggested starting a blog. And I was like, I don't really know if I like have much to talk about. And then I thought about kind of the sex ed angle and I was like, maybe if I created this as a resource and a blog, then it could be something kind of an information hub for teenagers and young adults to go to and they can find not just blog posts about sexual health and consent and that type of thing, but also specific resources for each province that will tell them like where you can go in your region to get a pap test and what the deal is with abortions in your area and how you can get them and what's covered and how many weeks um, pregnant you can be in order to get one and that type of thing. So it just ended up being much more work than I anticipated, but quarantine gave (laughs) me a lot of time to do it. it. Yeah. Good. <laughs> That's so important. And thank you so much for like sharing your experience. I of course went and read read your blog and like some of the very first posts there are about your own experiences with mm-hmm. ins- with assault. So thank you so much for sharing. It's so important to share our stories um because, you know, as you said it's so common. Unfortunately, yeah. we have all had shit uh, education surrounding consent so mm-hmm. unfortunately and and like our whole you know culture just uh is not helpful no <laughs> as far as no. you know all the messaging that we get on a constant basis surrounding consent so I was vi- just so very pleased to see uh you addressing issues like that because it's very impactful for I'm sure for your readers it certainly was for me what was your um what was your reasoning behind kind of wanting to angle your blog towards like young adults? Was there something you connected with there? Yeah, I think just thinking about kind of who I was at like 16 before I had sex for the first time. Um, I don't even remember if I kissed someone at that point. It was around then. Um, (laughs) But like, I knew nothing. Like, when I look back, like, it's laughable, the amount that I did not 
no. Like I probably, I don't even think I could have explained like how sex worked, like genuinely. Cause I wasn't wow. like, I didn't watch porn. Like I never really had a curiosity about sex when I was a teenager. And, uh, it wasn't information that I kind of like sought out. And mm-hmm. I was like, I know there are people who were in the same boat as me. And even people who maybe watched porn or were having sex, the education you get from that is not necessarily the education that you need to have a healthy sexual relationship and to know how to look after yourself. Uh, So I was like, I think people who are in that period where they're just kind of entering this new world of relationships and sex need a place where all the information is together. You don't have to go to multiple locations to try and find what you're looking for, whether that's, you know, uh, information on birth control or STI tests, or just trying to understand like what sexual assault is and what resources are available for that. Um, Because it's like, and I found this when I was doing the blog, the information is spread out all over the internet. Like there are very few places that kind of conglomerate it the way that I feel like if you're a teenager, you just want it in one place. You don't want to have to go searching for it. For sure. And I love that you offer that. Um, that's like very, very helpful for people, right? Like, yeah. and that's the thing with you were saying when you were that age, like you didn't know much about sex because you didn't like seek it out. Mm-hmm. And because that's what we're like, I guess that's what we're, it's assumed that we do that. It's like, well, kids will find out for yeah. themselves. And it's like, no, you have to offer like valuable, good, reputable resources, or else they will go to like use things like porn or, you know, their peers uh, for education as educational sources when like, you know, porn is great. I'm not mad at porn whatsoever, <laughs> but it's great as an entertainment tool. It's not great as an yeah, educational tool, obviously. Exactly. Right. And, you know, you trying to talk to like the main place that you're going to get information at that age is from your peers is from your yeah. friends who and I mean they don't know anything no. either oh like my gosh. you're all in the same boat yeah so I love that you're putting together like a little informational package uh it's not just like a writing um an educational writing or writing about your own experience it's like you're putting together a little package so yeah you know you've got a writing on a certain topic and then here are the resources yeah for sure And actually, like, I've just realized that that is kind of how I'm going to format my, like, intro to pro-doming consultations that I've been doing. Like, I get booked for doming consultations Mm -hmm. where uh, people are, you know, aspiring doms, aspiring Mm -hmm. dominatrixes are looking to talk to me for an hour to see just, like, how do I get started and what do I need to know and stuff like that. And I usually just kind of go on the fly. I answer their questions. I tell them what I know. But I'm like, man, there's such a better way I could be packaging this, you know? Like, I could, like, because I mentioned, like, oh, yeah, listen to this podcast. Oh, yeah, uh, there's some good books about that. It's like, no, but I could be, like, really handing Mm -hmm. them this neat little package by having, like, all the resources already ready to go and just kind of offer a little kind of informational package like that. I think that's, like... 
I love that you did that. That's so fantastic. Yeah, I'm such a nerd for things like that too. Like if you give me like an information packet, like I will just devour it. I don't know why, (laughs) but I'm so that person who is like, I just love like packages of information and I just want to read everything and I want it to all be right there. So it made me happy to do it um, just because it kind of satisfied that like detail oriented information hoarding side of me. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And has writing the blog, like specifically the ones where you talk about your own experiences, Mm -hmm. has that been therapeutic for you to uh, tell your story? Like when you are doing that on the blog? Yeah. I mean, it was interesting because, and I kind of said that in the first piece I wrote about it, I was like, for a lot of time after some of those incidences happened, I didn't think about it. Like for probably about half of them, I was like, I like brushed it off and I was like, oh yeah, I guess that was kind of like shitty, but I didn't really Mm -hmm. address it from a point of view of like, oh, that was sexual assault. Like that's what it was considered. Um, Yeah, that was someone violating my consent. Yeah, absolutely. And so then when I sat down to write it, I was like, I know I have a couple, but I don't know like Mm -hmm. how many. And when I really started thinking about it and like I started, um, I did them in kind of age order. So I started from when I was like 17 up until, I don't know when the last one would have been, maybe 23. Um, Right. And I just kept remembering things. And I was like, oh, man, like, I guess that was considered sexual assault. And then when I looked at the list, I was like, oh, my gosh. Wow, there's 10 out of the ones that I could remember, like, off the top of my head in that moment. And it's I kind of have a weird relationship with it. And in that, like, because a lot of them were, you know, things that. I think we are kind of taught to just like shrug off. I feel like I haven't gone through kind of, I haven't had a similar experience to other people who I have talked to who have experienced sexual assault because for me, it just wasn't that for most of them. Yeah. So it was, it was interesting. I think um, I've definitely thought now maybe going to therapy to talk about some of this stuff might not be a bad idea um for sure for sure because i think we don't realize like all those little not to say they're little all all of the experiences surrounding our consent being violated like no matter how little all of those things just add up they influence the way we conduct our daily life without us even realizing it like as you were saying you're kind of like wrote down all the things that you could kind of think of you know, you've just off the top of your head mm-hmm. and surprised at how many you saw down on the page there. It's like, I'm sure a lot of us could do that exact same thing. And I'm yeah. sure a lot of us would be shocked to see how many, you know, little instances or big instances or anything on mm-hmm. that spectrum, uh, like just added up. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge, huge proponent of therapy like I'm a huge I'm just an advocate a a therapy advocate perhaps and I'm sure like how you're finding with writing this 
it's just so therapeutic to just talk about it, to yeah. just tell someone. Sometimes it doesn't need to be more than that, than you just sharing your story. Like, I think un people underestimate the value of talk therapy, or as you're experiencing, like, writing therapy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah I've done therapy before um, for unrelated things. Uh, and I just kind of never broached this as a topic because I didn't feel like it was something that was affecting me. But yeah, I think it would be interesting to go and just kind of see what comes out. Yeah, and just talk, be able to talk through it, like mm -hmm. all your experiences. Yeah, and I think that is something that people kind of come up against with violations of consent or sexual assault. This idea that you may not, you know, view them as assaults, as true assaults. Yeah. You may not, like, we're taught, you know, about rape or nothing, basically. Yeah, it's like, exactly. well, and this, and I'm getting this from your post that was called, like, I've never been raped or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So we, we're kind of contextualizing our assaults around this idea of rape that is this like when we picture that, it's like a huge confrontation. Yeah. PIV sex is happening yep. against our will. And yep. then so if it's not that exact thing that happened, yeah. I think we easily can kind of shrug it off of, oh, it wasn't an assault because it wasn't like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think like, especially kind of growing up, like rape is like, you automatically associate it with stranger rape, which is one of the ones that we see the least. Um, but right. you think of someone, you know, like grabbing you like in a parking garage or something and you're screaming and you're fighting and you're saying no, but for so many people, that's not their reality. And I think because that's kind of how we grow up viewing it, we have a really hard time when we're older coming to terms with it. Uh, especially if it was one of your first sexual experiences or kind of early on. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who are like uh, telling me the story of how they lost their virginity and I'm listening and in my head I'm going, oh my gosh, like this was sexual assault or this was statutory rape. And they're like, you know, yeah, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't great, but it was fine. And, you know, life went on. And I was like, did you, you know, tell anyone they were like, no, 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 like, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. Like, I didn't feel like I was raped or anything. And you don't want right. to be the person to be like, well, like the dictionary says, but yeah. there's always a part of me that's like, oh, my gosh, like, so many people have like share this sentiment. And it yeah. breaks my heart. And um, I think that's very important what you said, like, the idea in our head is like, with a stranger, like, mm -hmm. something that I always pictured in my head that I had, like, feared when I was a young woman was like, that I would be at my workplace and someone would break in the workplace while I was like, right. closing up by myself and yep. rape me. That was like a very vivid fear that yeah. I held on to when I was around that age not even realizing that assaults can happen all throughout, you know, you, you a relationship between you and your boyfriend when you're a young yep. person, you know, 
like that violations of consent can happen all over the place in all your intimate relationships. Absolutely. Like, like not even just about sex, but just about life. Yep. Like everyone you come in contact with can be potentially violating your consent to varying degrees. And we're not talk about, taught about consent in that way. We're mm-hmm. taught about this super scary stranger rape thing. Yeah. And that's all we're told. Yeah. And I can remember really clearly, actually, we had one presentation, I think, for my entire four years of high school, where the nurse practitioner came in and there was a PowerPoint and she said, the age of consent is 16. It's 18 for um, people who are in a position of authority. I remember it was 18 for anal sex. I know they're trying to repeal that. I don't know if it's happened yet. Um And that was it. Like, it was just like, these are the ages of consent. And uh, I think they talked about, you know, you can withdraw consent, I think was the only other thing I remember from that conversation. But there were no kind of conversations about like, the intricacies of it in terms of like, you know, being attuned to body language and how just because someone says no doesn't necessarily sorry, someone, if someone doesn't say no, it doesn't necessarily mean that they want to. And you have to like, be conscious of your partner and the signals that they're sending. Yeah, exactly. All the nonverbal consent cues. Like we're not, we're not taught to recognize or pick up on any of those. For sure. Yeah. What do you think needs to be taught? Like, around this age, um, you know, say 16, kind of your target audience for your blog, what do you think needs to be taught around that age? I know this is a huge question. Yeah. So do, do your best. And I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but what's your first instinct when I say that, what needs to be taught to people around that age? Consent is my first instinct, just because that was kind of what I felt was most lacking. And so kind of what you were saying, talking about like nonverbal cues and um, especially how alcohol and drugs come into play when we're dealing with consent, Mm because that's a huge issue, especially moving into university. But I mean, man, like if I could just teach a course on this, like, I don't think there's anything I wouldn't want to put in at that age. Like (laughs) once they're 16, I'm like, I want to hit them with everything. Because at some point they're going to need it or they're going to figure it out. And it's better for them to figure it out in a setting like this with someone who knows what they're talking about and not like what people are talking about on the school bus or in the cafeteria or, you know, online. Like that information is not necessarily correct and is not a way to form a sex education at all. But I think, you know, if in an ideal world, um, which is what the actually um, the the sex ed curriculum that was put in place by the liberals a couple years ago that was then taken back, um, had sex education essentially starting in elementary school where you're teaching kids like the proper names for things. So saying like anatomy yeah like penis and vagina so that kids who are being abused or molested um like know what those words are so that they can Mm -hmm. tell people instead of just being like oh 
um, you know, they touched me in like a special place or something, you know, that like using ambiguous language that people might not necessarily pick up on. They actually know like, oh, this is not a place that people are allowed to touch. This is what it's called. And I think that's great. And I think it should be starting that young um, and then progressing in an appropriate way, but also like recognizing that kids, like kids in middle school are having sex. Like exactly kids know yeah kids are like jumping into sex way earlier than we think yeah so you gotta educate people before they jump in so I mean again yes age appropriate being age appropriate is a thing but like as as young as you can possibly teach them yeah and I think consent consent can you know, morph with however old they are, but it can start very, very young just by, you know, rather than grabbing the kid and making them put on their, you know, shoving their shirt on them, Mm -hmm. like asking them first, like, can we get dressed? Like, can you come over here and we can get dressed? Can I do that? You know, can I wipe your face? Like stuff like that. And I know it make, it makes it harder it definitely makes it harder as a parent. And by the way, I'm speaking not as a parent. So if parents want to <laughs> at me, go go ahead. But I, I know it's difficult to give the kid the option to say no. I know that's yeah, difficult. Sure. But I, it just to me, I'm like, if we learn that language easier, that somebody has to ask before they touch you, even something just as simple as that is so important to me. Yeah. Um, I've seen great examples online about people uh, like asking their children if they would like to hug a relative instead of like there you go. telling their kid to go hug grandma or whatever, which is like who they haven't seen in a year. And they yeah, mean exactly. that's a stranger to them, essentially. For so sure. What does that teach you? Like that, you know, you're supposed to hug this person. So you do it. Yeah. Like, what is that informing you of your bodily autonomy? Exactly. That if you think you're supposed to do something, that you're going to do it. You're going to go yeah. along with it. And kids yeah. pick up on that, even that young of an age. Like, oh yeah, they understand, oh, yeah. like, when, you know, when your uncle asks you for a hug and a kiss, like, you give it to them because your parents expect you to. So exactly. even at the age of whatever, four they're getting these cues that, you know, their bodily autonomy might not be completely theirs. Yeah, totally. And I mean, just going on from there, like specifically with women, Mm -hmm. it's like, we are cultured to be polite and to me, to be not bitchy, to be not emotional, to be low maintenance um, you know, to defer to whatever power is in the room. Yeah. So, you know, just with all these little messages compounding, when we're young people, you know, say around 16 or, you know, even earlier, looking to get into sexual situations, that can potentially be like a total minefield to okay. navigate. Yeah, because there are just so many internal and external pressures. Yeah. That's the thing with consent. It's like not just about what the other person may or may not be pressuring you to do in whatever way. 
it's what you're you feel under pressure to do or how you feel under pressure to perform in your own head yeah absolutely due to to your learned um the learned behavior your learned experience surrounding it yeah and if you're you know 14 and like you know that your best friend gives her boyfriend blowjobs like you assume that that's what you're supposed to do to your boyfriend like that's just the connection that you make and if we haven't talk to them about it yet at 14 when they are starting to do these types of things or some some of them are then they're completely in the dark like they have no idea let's take a moment to talk about our lovely sponsors shall we first of all Oasis Aqua Lounge is a water-themed sex club located right here in Toronto at 231 Mutual Street Oasis is inclusive of all genders and orientations and is shame-free when it comes to pleasure and play. Check them out at their website, oasisaqualounge.com. Unicorn Collaborators is the local leather business of two queer unicorns. They specialize in luxurious and colorful harnesses for all body types and even craft non-conventional ones for your thigh, fist, or foot. Check them out at their Etsy shop under Unicorn Collaborators. Lovecrafters Toys is a non-gendered fantasy sex toy line that makes weird and wonderful dildos in the shape of tentacles, unicorn horns, mermaid tails, and more. Their high-quality silicone is hand-poured right here in Toronto. Check out their Etsy shop at Lovecrafters Toys. ComeAsYouAre.com is a trans-owned, trans-operated sex shop that also happens to be feminist and anti-capitalist. They carry only the best sex toys and want to give you the best price possible. Next time, use the coupon code BEDPOST, that's B-E-D-P-O-S-T, when checking out at ComeAsYouAre.com. Yeah, for me, around that age, like if I, I think of what would be important to teach like obviously consent is also an instinct that I have for sure but also like what healthy and loving romantic relationships look like Mm -hmm. for sure you know what is grooming and manipulation versus you know healthy open honest communication yeah like those relationship skills specifically surrounding communication and that that includes consent in there but just how to how how to conduct a healthy relationship with other people like we're not actually taught that that's something we fucking stumble through Mm -hmm. after we get hurt and we hurt other people until as adults we finally figure out how to how to listen to people and communicate and talk to people openly and all of that stuff. I just think that would have been so valuable to me at the time because I was in some shit relationships. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, might've, might've helped me if somebody was like, listen, if your relationship resembles any of these scenarios, Mm -hmm. that's not healthy. That might've helped maybe. Yeah, I mean, I remember, so I didn't have a relationship in in high school, but I remember in university, I had a huge crush on this guy. And it was the first time that I had ever really been like, okay, I really like this person. And I think they like me. And he got away with a lot of crap, because it was 
my first experience with this and I was willing to let a lot slide a because I didn't know better for some of it and b because for the stuff that I did know was wrong I was like well I can like look past this because you know I've seen other friends and similar situations and it just seems like this kind of stuff happens sometimes but like I remember um, in my first year of university in, when was it, December maybe? I guess that doesn't matter. But um, he asked if I would give him a blowjob. And we hadn't had sex at that point. I was still a virgin. I had never given a blowjob. And I said I didn't want to. And maybe 30 seconds later, he was like, oh, I actually like have stuff to do. So like, can you leave? I was like, okay. Uh cool. And I like I knew that was fucked up in my head. Like I really I did understand that that was like shady. But I yeah. completely let it slide. Yeah, because you're supposed to be, you know, you're trying to be you're trying you want to be liked. Yeah, At that point, that is sure. like it, right? You want to be accepted into the group, you want to be liked. Yeah. So that's a huge pressure for yeah, you're like, ooh, that feels bad when that happened. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, but what I need to do right now so he'll still like me. I'm not saying this is exactly what you were thinking. This is from my experience. Mm-hmm. Like if I, you know, if I played out that scene, I would have done the exact same thing. And the intention would have been, well, I want them to still like me, though. Yeah. So, okay, I guess I'll just go if they're yeah. asking me to go. Yeah. And then eventually when... I did lose my virginity to him. I remember the thought process being very much along the lines of like, well, if I don't do it, he's just going to stop talking to me again because that's what happens every time I say I don't want to do something. He'll just go like a couple weeks or a month without speaking to me and then I feel really shitty. So maybe if I just like get it over with, he'll stop doing that. And I look back on that and I'm like, oh my God, like, I like want to give 18 year old me a hug. Yeah. And, and imagine like if in school, like you were taught that that is manipulation, that is emotional manipulation. Absolutely. You know, like imagine if you were taught that when you maybe have been like, you know, who maybe it would have reached you, maybe not depending, but maybe you would have been like, oh, shit, this is not a good situation I'm in right now. And I would have been able to name it. And I think that's the other important thing. If it's kind of an ambiguous feeling that like, this is kind of weird and wrong. Yeah. It's harder to decide to, you know, take action uh, versus if you can actually say like, oh, he's manipulating me. That's what's happening. This is like a form of emotional abuse. And I saw a lot of people in high school and beyond in actual relationships that were horribly emotionally abusive from both sides. Um, And, you know, if you're not taught about what emotional abuse is in school if your understanding of abuse is just like, oh, if they punch me in the face, you're not going to associate, you know, someone trying to like make you feel bad for going out with your friends with abuse, because that is a completely different category from 
being physically um, assaulted. Yeah, from that, same with that, the thing we were talking about with sexual assault, with like other types of domestic assault. Yeah, that's the image we have. It's like, well, he didn't hit me, so I guess it's not anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not abuse because he didn't hit me. Because that's all we're kind of taught, you know, via, you know, whatever media, the TV we watch or the news or the anything that we're that's um giving us information like it's just it tells you like the nth degree of the thing yeah and you're supposed to just kind of fill in the rest yeah and me- meanwhile we're all just like floundering as young people <laughs> you know just yeah, like that's literally what it feels like uh, like it feels like you're just kind of pushed into the deep end of the pool and they're like well some of you will figure out how to float good luck yep like that's it <laughs> and it's like you had us for 13 years And not once could you take an hour to give us this information. Like, it's infuriating, especially because a lot of parents assume that they're getting it at school and they're just not talking about it. And so parents are like, okay, well, schools are doing it. So, you know, my hands are clean. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to brush the topic because it does make a lot of people uncomfortable, parents and teachers, for sure. And I think that's a big reason why, you know, kids are missing out on this education. But like, man, sometimes you just have to like grit your teeth and do it. Yeah, communicating is hard. I'm Mm -hmm. not like saying it's an easy thing, you know, to talk about all the all this, all this subject matter, like it is, it is uncomfortable to talk about. And the the fact that it is uncomfortable to talk about, you know, the fact that it is taboo, that's just pushing people to feel shameful about it yeah. and to not speak out about it all the more. So you're perpetuating, you know, young people learning that, that yeah. you're not supposed to talk about sex, that you're not supposed to talk about, you Absolutely. know, whatever's going on in your relationship, that that's private. Yeah. Yeah, if they see that their teacher who is trying to teach them sex ed is embarrassed, like these kids aren't going to want to go talk to her later if, for example, they were sexually assaulted and want to talk about it and want help. They're going to see that their teacher was bright red talking about chlamydia and they're going to be like, okay. Oh, I guess that's something to be embarrassed about. Oh, I guess this is something I should feel awkward about or nervous about yeah. or embarrassed about. Yeah. Yeah. It's talking about now that you just brought that up, something else that's so very valuable. You talk a lot about STIs on your blog. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Yeah. And that I will say, I always got a presentation every year about STIs and it was always horrifying because they would show pictures of genitals covered in herpes and looking back I'm like all right that was more of a scare tactic than anything to get us to not have sex um yeah but I think you know the fact that they were talking about it was great but now I also feel like there's such a big shame factor around getting an STI and people don't even want to go get tested Exactly. And that's often the worst part of a lot of STIs. Like, yeah, some can be super physically uncomfortable um, or painful or what have you. But a large part of STIs is the stigma. Like, that's the worst part. Not the fact that you 
you know, have a infection of some sort that you go to the doctor and get a pill for. And there you go. In most cases, like, that's not worse than getting the flu, like the flu might be worse, like throwing up is really terrible. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's on par for like any of these other infections that we get throughout our lives but for sure again again the the messaging that we get is when it's surrounding our genitals that it's shameful yeah it's dirty and it's like or you know it means like you sleep around which we also know is not true at all I mean you could get an STI from your partner or from the first person you ever have sex with like it has no bearing on the amount of people you sleep with, but we have this weird association with it that like, oh, he sleeps around, he's probably got herpes. Like, that's ridiculous. Right. Yeah, totally. And even with herpes, it's like, okay, so it's the exact same strain. Uh, Say you get uh, HSV1 Mm -hmm. on your mouth, which is called cold sores. And then you get, you can also get HSV1 on your genitals. And that and that's genital herpes. So it, it is literally, literally the exact same yeah. virus. Yep. And cold sores, you know, are not a shameful thing to have. No, I just had one like a week ago. <laughs> there you go. And again, you know, the symptoms suck. Like they're uncomfortable. Yeah. They're... Like I don't love having it on my face. Although exactly because we're wearing masks right now, it was actually good timing because no one could see. Oh, nice! Yeah, (laughs) works out well. Perfect. But you know, no one's like, no one's gonna make me feel shitty about myself for having a cold sore. Totally. But like, yeah, God forbid you get herpes. God forbid you get genital herpes. You get the exact same thing on your genitals, and suddenly, it's like worth. I'm I'm so serious. It's worth considering committing suicide over. Yeah, like that's mind-blowing to me that we have like that's how ingrained yeah. this shame is surrounding mm-hmm. stis yeah and it's it, you know there are things that happen just like you know you get like a planner wart or whatever they're just things that you pick up and sometimes yeah. you're doing everything you possibly can to protect yourself and you still get one like it just yep. happens and i think if we created the discussion more around that instead of like this is a picture of what your vagina looks like if you get genital herpes and like they told us a story about how this girl who had genital warts um like basically felt like she was never going to be able to get married or have a baby because she had genital warts like it was scaring the shit out of us we were a bunch of 15 year old kids like, what a horrible way to present information to teenagers. Yeah, it's interesting. I had, like, um, I went to Catholic grade school and Catholic high school. Mm-hmm. So it is very interesting that, you know, the angle is ob- obviously abstinence-based right. education. Yeah. So the fear tactics are real. Like, that mm-hmm. is the intention of why this uh, this uh, information is being presented that way. For sure. It's yeah. all to scare you to not have sex. But you know what? Kids are not swayed no. by that. Kids will have sex. Yeah, for sure. Young adults are having sex no matter what. Yeah. It'd be much, much better to just, like, you know, have free condoms in the oh guidance gosh. counselors office yeah. in a bowl and i like, mean our please. our region of 
New Brunswick actually had the highest teen pregnancy rate. Um, and I think one of the highest STI rates. And the fact that they were coming at it from such a, you know, scare tactic angle rather than, you know, an education and like prevention angle. Yeah. Like it wasn't helping any of us. I knew so many girls in high school who got pregnant. It happened every year. And I was like, right. Well, can you, you know, talk to us more about like what our birth control options are? Can you like, I didn't understand what an abortion was until I was out of high school. Like I had heard the word before, but we had never been spoken to about it. And New Brunswick um, doesn't have the greatest abortion resources. I think there's facility. Yeah, there's um, there's three hospitals in the entire province that will do it. And they are on opposite ends. So rural small towns like where I'm from, the closest one was three hours away. Like that's not an option for a lot of people. And there's one clinic in the capital that will do them, but you have to pay. It's not covered. So, you know, getting an abortion, like, was not an option for most teenage girls, even if it was presented to them, which it never was. But I don't know. I'm sure, like, abortions happened. I'm sure they were not publicized. But it was not something that we were ever talked to about. Yeah. Or what's worse, like young girls, young women are going online and trying to, you know, do something themselves, which is so sad and heartbreaking Mm -hmm. and terrifying. It's funny. I, um, just recently I was doing, I was doing some online group thing and we were talking about, um, like highest teen pregnancy or something like that. And somebody did bring up that, um, that your province was like, they, they did give me those statistics and which I was surprised at. And then, um, I was like, I grew up in Dundas, Ontario, which is kind of near Hamilton, Ontario. A lot of people are more familiar with Hamilton, but, uh, Dundas is like a little town just next there. Mm -hmm. And we had the highest, I think it was the highest teen pregnancy rate Mm -hmm. was in Dundas, Ontario, like when I was around that age. So, I mean, same thing. Like, I, you know, it wasn't, I was in a rural area, so I had a little more access, but it was still like very prevalent in, in um, a city area as well. So, yeah. And especially in small towns, like I remember one of my best friends started having sex when we were in, in high school and she was so embarrassed to go to the drugstore because everyone knows everyone. So she was like, someone's going to tell my mom, like, and everyone knows who I'm dating. People are going to know we're having sex. They'll see me getting condoms or they'll see my boyfriend getting condoms. So then what kids are using condoms? Like it just, and I mean, the other part of it is like, because it's a small town, there's not a lot going on so kids you know get in gossip to issues where they're oh yeah that too yeah yeah they're like bored and they yeah they're you know they're doing drugs or they're having sex and I guess I was lucky that 
I was like so involved in the drama club to like an embarrassing amount that I just like <laughs> had no time <laughs> to do anything else. Um, and I had a part-time job. So I was so laser focused on kind of what I was doing. Like I wasn't going to parties and I wasn't, you know, hanging around the waterfront at night when a lot of other people my age were. And yeah, I was not so lucky. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it's like the kids are doing it and everyone knows that they're doing it. So yeah. yep. by not teaching them, at what point does it become like kind of irresponsible? Yes, totally. Yeah. When you're talking about, yeah, going to the drugstore and you know the woman who yeah. you're buying the thing from and, and she knows your mom. And tell whoever. Yeah. It's true. I had the same thing. Like in my high school, my aunt and my uncle taught at that high school. Mm-hmm. Like my aunt was the guidance counselor. Yep. So it's like, yeah, once I started having sex, like that got around. Not only did like all the teachers know, then my aunt knew and then my parents right. knew. Yeah. You know, so it was like just a, again, with that stigma um, at that age, I mean, you just want to be liked, you want to be loved, you want to be popular, mm-hmm. you want to, you know, whatever. The, the slut-shaming was real. Oh my gosh. Yeah, for sure. It was real. Yeah. Like, and the mortification is real. Like, I think something at that age, um, one of the worst things is being embarrassed, right? Yeah being mortified like that legitimately is like something that you will drive you to once again like actually possibly commit suicide like it's serious stuff for sure all the and and to think that as adults like we're not affected by what happened to us when we were young adults or young people is crazy like you don't think I carry that around still yeah of course I do yeah you know and I bring up all the time like the shows that we were watching um, when we were in high school and like how, you know, in a lot of them, I won't say all of them, but in a lot of them, like you're not seeing characters be like, oh, do you have a condom? And you're not seeing characters like actually practice what consent is. So when you're, when you're a lot of times your first experiences with sex is from like watching Pretty Little Liars, which is the show that I think I was watching in ninth grade, is has nothing to do with, you know, asking for consent or discussing protection. You don't associate it with it because, you know, on TV they weren't doing it. So then when you're having sex, you don't make those associations. And you also like don't understand necessarily how to do it and I think if like we portrayed consent more on tv like teenagers would have an idea of like what it actually sounds like like what the words are that you could use because I think a lot of time they're like well it's just gonna sound stupid like what like every 30 seconds I'm just like oh are you okay like that's stupid right but if they see people actually putting it into practice then they have something to go off of Totally. I think that is such a valid point. Like even the way we see relationships portrayed Mm -hmm. in media, like on TV or in movies or whatever, they're like drama filled and like so romantic. And it's like this just completely fictionalized idea of like 
like what a terrible like reference point yeah. to have like yep. you know uh, this love story where they fight and then they make up and then they fuck and yeah. then they are you know in more in love than ever and then there there's some other drama that happens like we're taught that that's how a relation a healthy relationship looks yeah like the the big one that gets me is like eventual consent like you see scenes all the time where one character like wants to have sex and the other one is kind of like no no I don't want to like later like don't touch me but they just keep at them and then eventually it's like a huge like sexy sex scene and I'm like oh my god like don't teach people that if you just keep pushing long enough you're gonna have the best sex of your life like that's really bad um what's the word I'm looking for like messaging messaging for kids yeah like to say like oh, I'll fight for you. Well, I'll follow you anywhere. Mm-hmm. I'll wait for you. Like all of that. Yeah. All of that language. It's like, no, you, you could le- you should leave her alone. <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't like pine after her. And, you know, yeah, there are a lot of like love stories of like, how did two people get married? It's like, oh, well, I said no. And then he, you know, by the eighth time I said yes. It's like, what? Why was he asking you eight times? That's insane. And even just this idea, like in movies of the, they um, are like eroticizing the reluctance in romance Mm -hmm. and the winning over of people. Yeah. And like what I was going to say before was like, yes, all of this is like fictional media that we're consuming, like on TV or in movies or whatever. But as young people, we're not viewing it from that place. Yeah, We're viewing it as like, this, this is what it is. We're viewing it word for word. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing that this is a fictional portrayal of this like romantic, dramatic um, you know, maybe abusive, tumultuous relationship that this is like a fictional kind of romanticized, Hollywoodized view. Like we don't yeah. have, we don't know that at that age. Yeah. We're not viewing the media from that mindset. We're not. Yeah. I mean, I was obsessed with Twilight when I was in middle school. And then I went back and watched that movie at the beginning of quarantine. And I was like, oh my god like this is what I thought like the apex of a relationship was like this was like my ideal scenario like this is awful this is abusive and manipulative and so wrong on so many levels and 13 year old girls were obsessed with it yeah and they're like I want that you know that's the epitome just like you were saying that's the apex of like a romance that's what i want that's that's what i'm gonna strive for that's true love exactly and it's like oh fuck like yeah i i've i'm re-watching just like because of quarantine you know obviously Mm -hmm. watching a lot of fucking netflix and whatnot (laughs) it's like watching stuff that's you know 10 years old 15 years old 20 years old it's just insane how much of it is so, so, so tone deaf. Yeah. And not even stuff that old, like stuff from a few years ago and stuff they're still putting out. Oh, yeah. Right, like oh, today. Yeah. today. Yeah. It's still, for some reason, you know, not showing 
not giving a good example to anyone. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> so, and yet, and yes, fictional media, maybe that isn't their job. But when the education surrounding sex and relationships is so lacking, yeah. that those are sources of education for people. Yeah. People are young people are looking at porn and thinking that's what real like real orgasms look like or real pleasure looks like or real bodies are supposed to look like like all of those are things that young people are turning to to get education yeah I mean I don't think I had an orgasm until my like second year of having sex probably like yeah I mean I had my first orgasm um yeah it was like I was in college yeah yeah, yeah, like, yeah, and like I masturbated like just to feel pleasure, but I hadn't had an orgasm until like pretty late. Yeah, I think I was nineteen. Um, Especially when you th- when you think I lost my virginity. By the way, I'm not a huge fan of lost my virginity, but because it's a construct. Yes, but um, <laughs> but the first time I had PIV sex, I was fifteen. I just turned fifteen, actually, right. so I was quite young. And to think that you know maybe I was like even. You know, I was early 20s by the time I actually had an orgasm. Like, I know. That's, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I find now um, I'm much more comfortable talking about what I need and, like, how I need to get off and what needs to yeah. happen. But when I was 19, 20, like, I was so scared to have that conversation because I was like, well, they're not going to want to do it and they're not going to like it. Yeah, I'm still like you're giving blowjobs, so at some point, yeah. like, I was like, they need to suck it up. Like, if I'm not getting off, why should they get off? That's not fair. Like, I've faked way too many orgasms in my life for yeah me to, like, keep doing it. I'm like, no, I'm so I've made a, a vow that I will no longer fake orgasms. That was my yes. <laughs> New Year's resolution. Um, <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, I was like, yeah, and, you know, I don't even think that that's something that would be inappropriate to talk to high schoolers about, like right. talking to them about sex beyond, you know, having babies. Cause mostly that's not why we're having sex at this age. Yeah. And, and beyond doing it with a partner, like talking about yeah, masturbation, it's like, sure. okay, you think this thing you think the only way you can get this thing called sex is via, you know, a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And you're so desperate f- to be liked and for approval and to get a boyfriend. And it's just like, you can, you can actually have some pretty fun, sexy times by yourself. Like, yeah. you know, it might be, it might help a lot of young people to know that, oh no, you can do self-pleasure and like it's nothing to feel shameful yeah. about and it's actually going to really improve your sex life not harm it like um you know there's a stereotype that you know it's like if you masturbate then you're you know going to ruin partnered sex you yeah. know if you masturbate in a certain way and then you can't have an orgasm through partnered sex doing it a different way it's like that's, yeah. that's so not true it's like no. the education starts with ourselves you have For to know sure. what how your own body works before you can bring that yeah before you can bring that to a partner yeah and that like I would assume that a lot of people would be like super psyched if you were like 
hey, this is what works for me, because then they don't have to try and guess and be like, well, this worked for my last partner. I'll try it here. If you actually give them a roadmap, like they should be super happy. Yeah, because young people like trying to please their partner too. Yeah. They don't know what they're doing and they're nervous and like they would probably love some information <laughs> from you. Yeah. Like, and in my experience, like the times that I have felt comfortable enough to be like, hey, this is how I'm going to finish, people are like, yeah, this Great. is what you got to do. And then I don't have to sit there and like pretend to enjoy something so that I don't hurt their feelings. And then be like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to fake it for the 500th time because I don't want yeah. to make them feel bad. Right. Yeah. And like, or subtly trying to, you know, give them body language. Yeah. It's like, no, just use your words. Yeah. yeah. And the fake orgasm thing is, it's tough because sometimes, you know, in some situations that can be necessary to get people out of situations. Oh, for sure. I'm not, I'm not going to say that that doesn't exist, yeah. but you know, if you're, if you're faking orgasms, like the main thing that it's doing is giving your partner the information, what they need to do to get you off. Yeah. So if you're faking an orgasm when they're doing something, yeah. because you're like, oh, I want this to end and yeah. whatever else, you know, is going on in your head, they're learning from that and being like, great, I'm going to do that next yeah. time to get her off. And it's, and it's like <laughs> giving them the complete opposite yeah. information. And then so. two months down the road, it's going to be real awkward if you're like, Oh, like I would really enjoy I don't get this. Off that way. <laughs> yeah, because then they're gonna be like, "Well, then what? What have we been doing for the last two months?" Yeah, it's like just not a great situation. I understand people that you know have the reasons for faking orgasms, but yeah. you know, just just in general, wouldn't it be so much nicer if we could communicate openly about all this stuff? Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So, okay, Caroline, we're actually ending right up at the end of our episode here, so. I know we've drawn it out long enough for people. I'm sure they're just <laughs> dying to know where they can find your blog. <laughs> yeah. So my uh, URL is readbetweentheSheets.com. And we're also on weird. I don't know why I keep saying weird. It's just me. I am also on um, like Instagram and Facebook um, at readbetweentheSheets. I think the between is um, B-T-W-N there, but it'll come up either way. Cool. Would you like them to follow you on any other social media platforms, like your personal stuff or anything else? Um, I mean, if you want to, my personal Instagram is mscarolinecoon. Um, feel free to add me and you can find all the links to all of my stuff from there. But yeah, keep up to date with us on social media. Um, I'm going to be starting a couple things outside of the blog um, weekly so that there's a little more action going on. And then I do blog posts on Tuesdays, which are the more like research-based kind of sexual health um, pieces. And then Saturdays, which are kind of my editorial soapbox moments. Um, so those are usually more around like rape culture, consent, um, slut shaming, stuff going on in the media. Um, but yeah, more more opinion pieces. Very cool. I love it. So as far as uh, bedpostly things go, since we're talking about Instagram, you can follow us at the Bedpost Podcast on Instagram. I am uh, my doming stuff is Pim Lady on Instagram, and uh, at the Lady Pim One on Twitter. 
If you want to email me about anything bedpost related, you can do so at thebedpostsexshow at gmail.com. Our YouTube is the Bedpost Sex Show on YouTube. And our Patreon, very important, our Patreon. Lots of bonus content there if you're interested. You can go to the Bedpost Show on Patreon. Uh, before I say goodbye to my lovely, lovely guest for the day, one last shout out to the lovely lady who does all the original music for my podcast. Her name is Stephanie Copeland, and you can find out all her other stuff at stephcopelandmusic.com. Last but not least, Caroline Kuhn, thank you so, so much for coming and speaking with me today. It's been lovely. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I'm so happy we got connected. And, uh, you know, if anybody wants to, uh, you know, ask you a question or have any in additional information about anything we talked about today, please uh, email me at thebedpostsexshow at gmail.com. And perhaps I'll uh, talk to Caroline and get you an answer about something like that. So, um, and I mean, the last thing to do, there's only one more thing to do, and it's to thank you listeners, you all you lovely Bedpost listeners. We will be back uh, next week talking about sex and sexuality with another fun and sexy guest right here in the studio via the Skyper phones. Until then, bye everybody, bye! This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 